0: Hey, hey, hey! What's up, friends? Welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K, and I'm really excited to be sharing with you this podcast episode because it's with someone who is someone who I've been really excited to talk to since the moment I picked up his book, Foresc and Lament. About I don't know, last summer, a year ago, I was stricken by this man's way of storytelling. His personal journey. Uh, there was a lot of which I related to. Uh, we did grow up in similar backgrounds in Orthodox homes. And though his journey and specifics are very different from mine, there was a lot that I connected with and the way he expressed his feelings and his emotions. It's incredible. Forcing Lament is an incredible memoir for our guest, whose name is Shalom Auslander. Shalom Auslander is an American novelist and author, and he has written many essays and short stories and quite a few Novels as well, in which recently he just released Mother for Dinner. And I just finished reading that as well. And it's a fantastic, creative novel, a great story, which has many, many layers to it. I highly recommend you reading it. And, you know, I was quite, I was even giddy. I'll use that word giddy to uh, zoom and talk with. Uh, Shalom, and I'm really grateful for making the time. And we delved into his process, what inspires him, his journey, his relationship with God, and of course, the different works that he's put out there in the world. Uh, it was really insightful, really interesting. Shalom is a really real and raw human being, and it was really cool to have been share share space with him. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my podcast with Shalom Lantern.
1: all right Uh, which nobody nobody believes is my name in in the secular world the secular world see i'm talking to a guy with a beard for two seconds and i'm already referencing the secular world um (laughs) yeah they're always like no that can't be real hello stranger like there's no way but it is (laughs) but it
0: is and how apropos (laughs) and it's pretty cool like you you did like you know leave the community in the sense um i don't you know that language is vibe with you but you sort of Paving your own path, and but you still you still kept your name, Sean Auslander. Was yeah. there any idea of changing your name to like fit fit in with the secular yeah. world?
1: Yeah, i i spent I spent like two years as a teenager as Steven. Um, oh wow! I, I just felt really stupid. I I, can't, <laughs> you know, I couldn't pull it off. Like I like the, they'd ask for my name, and I'd kind of half say it, and then um, and uh, then like I started getting into rap, and like all the people I met thought, you know, my name meaning peace was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that is funny. In a weird way, I kept my name because of Ice Cube. But, you know.
0: <laughs> Ice I, is a big fan, fan of the podcast. So Ice, you know, big shout out. Shalom's keeping his name. And, you know, it's one thing at least, you know, what we did. We didn't, you know, in, in, in Egypt it says we didn't change our name or clothing or our language. So, you right. know, he you, you just kept that. So that's, that's, that's right. a big win.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Didn't seem, uh, didn't seem to help all that much in Egypt.
0: (laughs) 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 We didn't get redemption. We got Exodus for free, right? We're.
1: Yeah. How's that working out?
0: (laughs) (laughs) One Gauls for the next.
1: They gave us us Israel. Awesome. That's fantastic. (laughs) I I wrote a short story once, uh, about a family in Egypt leaving, um, and the oldest called? is called Plagued. And the oldest son wants to stay because uh, he's very, very he likes it. All his friends are Egyptian. He's dating an Egyptian girl, like Egyptians are hot. And his mother's like, no, 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 we're going with Moses. We're going with Moses. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going. And they leave. And it's like, they're in the desert and it sucks. That's and true. he's like, you know I'm, I'm out of here. And then, so it's like, and it takes place, like, you know, and it shifts generations. So by the time they get to the Holy Land, They all walk in and like, this is it? Right. (laughs) In good old Shalom fashion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shalom, let me, first of all, I just want to give, it's so interesting because we have a lot of similarities. You went, you grew up in Muncie. I went to Yeshiva in Muncie. Um, Which one? Back, well, it was a a Chabad Yeshiva right off the Route 49 where Kinoor David used to be. Do you remember Kinoor David, the restaurant near Pathmark? Maybe it's a whole, where Pathmark used what's that?
1: Route 59.
0: Yeah. Route 59. Yeah. Yes. That's the one. There you go. That's testing you. Still making sure you remember your roots.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Route
0: 59. It was tough, man. It was a really difficult, it was my first transition to going to yeshiva. I grew up in Connecticut, New Haven, and it was yeah. my first time leaving like, you know, a, a school, a day school, like a couple hours in English, a couple hours of Hebrew girls in my class and to like 12 hours of just Hebrew studies away from home. And I, it was my first also interaction with depression. Where I, I got the press first for the first time, and really left a bad taste no, in no, my mouth. So, no
1: connection. No connection.
0: <laughs> no I, No, no, no. There's a there's a really strong connection there, and, <laughs> and um and it's, it, well it opened me up to the 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 road of of, of mental health and therapy. And there and right. earlier on it was a lot of shame around it, but now I t- openly talk about therapy. And which which actually led me to a an article you did for Keller, and they asked you what's the most expensive thing that you ever bought for your children, in which you answered the therapy I went to before they were born.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and, and and during and after (laughs) I'm I'm on, I'm on year 20 and any day now I'm done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just one more session. So that, that leads me to my, I guess, to my question that you're still in therapy and you're still, and you're a big advocate for therapy.
1: I am. I don't, I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't be writing or, uh, for that matter, alive without it. Um, And uh, I remember when I started it, um, first of all, I was massively, I I, I couldn't, I wanted to write, I couldn't write, everything was just three o'clock in the morning rants on an old word processor that I couldn't even stomach to read the next morning, Um, just sounded like a dreaming in the night, which is what it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got to a very dark sort of, I'm going to end it all place. Like not, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't comic. It wasn't melodramatic. It was, you know what? Some people are good at this whole life thing. And some people aren't, I don't, I'm not good at basketball. So I don't play basketball. So why, why should I play this game? I'm done. I'm going home. Um, but I had met my wife and I figured I owed her, uh, at least going to see somebody, uh, and at least get confirmation. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? You know what? I think you should kill yourself. Um, what age is this by the way? Uh, I was like 20, 21. Got it. Um, and, uh, I was very lucky, um, uh, to find the person I did, uh, to, I'm seeing him to this day. Um, and, uh, he got me, he convinced me to write. He convinced me that, um, and this is, you know, was it? I, I don't, I don't have uh, any kind of online presence, which, uh, helps with my mental health. <laughs> it's true. Well, I
0: tried to tag you a couple of times on Instagram when I was promoting the book. And
1: I, I, I think nothing. I
0: tagged some 13 year old kid. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
1: he's getting um, a bunch of followers course. from India. Yeah. Don't use that language in court. Cause that's going to be a bad thing, but you know, um, <laughs> They, I, 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 suddenly I was like, oh wait, um, life doesn't have to be this way. Life doesn't have to be dark and life doesn't have to be miserable if I'm willing to make sort of the hard, hard decisions, you know. Uh, not surprisingly, my mother was against it. Um, a mm-hmm. number of my people in my family were. And, you know, they did what a lot of people do, which is to say, oh, you know, it's so easy therapy is so easy. You just go in a room and complain about me. And I'm like, mom, don't flatter yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, in fact, I was angry. I was like, really? Because what I do is I go into a room and I ask really hard questions about myself. And I look at myself in the mirror and I try and make changes. What do you do? Do you do that? Cause I don't think so, mom, i have not seen you do that. Um, and so it's a form of, I think, meditation of self-help of self-awareness. Uh, if I have to reach back into, you know, my past, it's a form of, I think of, of prayer in its best sense, not the, Oh God, I could really use another thousand dollars. Um, but the, um, Maybe I need to think about this. Maybe I need to think about that.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. How? What are, what are the bigger, One of the more bigger shifts or realizations you got through therapy that shifted your consciousness, or one of the biggest moves that you that affected your life in a major way?
1: Um, that you can start over. That it's that it's not um, a life sentence. Life isn't a life. Set, it is a life sentence. But you can switch cells. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might you might get a view of the train tracks if you try hard enough. And um, it w- that was what it was. It was sort of, um, you know, there. I had been trained to have these terrible voices in my head. Uh, I'm not I'm not talking schizophrenically. I'm talking emotionally. Um, and I just got so tired and. What I didn't know at the time was that they weren't my voices. They were in my voice, but they weren't my voices. So the thing I told my shrink the first day was, I need to get rid of these voices. And he's like breaking out the lithium. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's not that. (laughs) It's just the constant haranguing, the constant not good enough, the constant anger at everything. I'm angry at you right now. I'm angry at this chair. I'm angry at everything. And I said, the second thing you should know is that if you take away my anger, I'll kill you Um, because it's what fuels my writing. Even though I was just struggling at the point at that time. And he did two major things. One was he said that he, he wouldn't declaw a cat and he would never take away my anger because it's my survival mechanism. And in fact, he said, all I want you to do is learn how to aim it properly because there are people that deserve your anger and they're not your wife and they're not the stranger on the street. Um, And the only way through this is to point the gun at the people that it should be pointed at, which isn't always easy. In fact, it's one of the hardest things to do in the world. Um, uh, And so the big change came about when he said to me, why don't you take three months and not speak to your family? Just three months. It's not going to kill them, you know. It's like going to you're going to camp, going to summer camp. Not a big deal. Um, and see how you feel at the end of it. And at the end of it, I had written a short story collection. <laughs> I had wow. I, been going to the gym. I, me and my wife were never happier. Um, I, I can't. I, don't, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure my dick grew like three inches. It was fantastic. Um,
0: wow. I may have know. to try this uh, three-month uh, vacation from family.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if if it, if it was just reverting to its natural thing and my mother was shrinking it or if the lack of mother made it grow. It's, we're studying it. More tests, more tests are needed. Uh, I've got Fauci on it. He's going to figure it out. <laughs>
0: there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't done a six-month stint then.
1: <laughs> well, I'm now at year 25, and I can hardly get my pants on. <laughs> um, so, but the interesting thing was that they, I, 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 to your point, it's exactly what happened, was I went three months, and it was great. So I was like, oh, I'll try another month, and let me try another month. And then eventually, I just decided I need to write her a letter and tell her I just need some time away. I don't know how long it's going to be, but this isn't working. We whether we acknowledge it or not, we can't stand each other. You know, we, we love each other, but we don't, but we hate each other, you know, um, thanks for the vagina, but, um, yeah. everything else after that was, downhill. um, and so I wrote this letter. I was living in Brooklyn at the time in Park Slope and, you know, one of those, you know, what do they call them? railroad apartment type thing. Yes. You know? And my wife was in the bedroom all the way at the end. And I was at the front window looking out the window, tears running down my face, writing this heartbreak. I mean, it was like Sophie's fucking choice. Like it was heartbreaking. Like I, and trembling and 10 pages long. And I walked down the hall with the laptop to show my wife the letter before I sent it. And I opened the door and she's like, is it done? And I'm like, yeah. And I start to hand it to her and I just go, cause she saw my, my tears. She saw I was beside myself. And I said, you know what? something about this doesn't make sense. This isn't sad for me. This is happy for me. This is freedom. This is leaving jail. And, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to say goodbye to the other inmates, but I'm, I'm out. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to write a funny, I don't want to speak to you letter anymore. Mm. Let me see how it goes. I have the I have the melodramatic violin Schindler's List version. Let me go, let me go see what I, what I would say, what I would do. And it ended up being, you know, obviously it's a heavy thing to write, but I was like, you know, my, the way it started was, mom, you know, in Bugs Bunny, when uh, he gets shot 18 times and then he drinks a glass of water and it starts throwing out through the holes. That's what life is like with you. Like I come to see you and I'm intact and then I get shot and then I come home and I realize I've been hit 18 times and I'm yelling at my wife and I hate myself and I'm hurting myself and I wanna die. So um, thanks, but I'm out for a little while. And that was the one I sent. And that was, the, that was the breaking point for me where it was suddenly like, wait a minute, this whole, and this is what intrigued me about, about you and what you're doing. It was this sudden, like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute. This soundtrack isn't my soundtrack. I didn't pick this soundtrack. I can change the soundtrack. It doesn't have to be Wagner. Can be. It can be upbeat. It can be. It can be J. Fucking Z. I don't care. But it doesn't have to be this. This isn't the way. I. I, I there's no. This isn't necessarily reality. Just because it's the way I've been seeing it or feeling it and it's obviously not you know as simplistic as you know put a smile on your face and everything will be better because it's actually a really hard realization to make because takes a lot of
0: bravery too
1: in my case you know i've heard that but in my from having been through it it's more it was, it, it was there was no option mm-hmm. i mean maybe that's what bravery is maybe bravery is is not you know, putting on the armor and running out with a sword because it's the right thing to do, but it's because they've got the house surrounded and you're burnt they're burning it down, and it's your only choice and so leaving was my only choice i i I meant when I said earlier I would not be here, and that means my two amazing boys wouldn't be here, and uh, nothing I've left behind would be here and so uh, that alone is worth it. But it was this sort of crazy realization that maybe maybe there's other music. And so all the writing I did up until then, I put in a box, um, deleted a lot of it because it was just trash and thought, you know what? I'm just going to write something funny, you know? And sat down and I wrote uh, a story uh, called Bobo the Self-Hating Chimp um which is about a monkey that gets suddenly in the bronx zoo that suddenly gets full awareness um and naturally kills himself but it's funny <laughs> and but of uh, course it is yeah i mean uh, he's a hero um uh and you know so it was this kind of like wow okay i it's really a remarkable thing to hear your own voice suddenly after 20 something years um to just, and I, I credit therapy with that. I credit writing with that. I don't, I, I tell everybody I know to do it. I'm not a snob about it. Um, mm, sure. Uh, in fact, I tell people not to go to writing, you know, Iowa Writers Workshop and all that, because they're just going to, they're just going to be another voice in your head. Telling mm. you what you do. And what you bring to this world is that voice. And you got to work to hear it. But once you hear it, man, let it go that's no.
0: that's one hundred percent and that's uh I think it's sometimes people are afraid of their own voice so it, it gets sort of maybe a peak of it, and it's like oh my gosh, I, that can't be me or I don't want to be associated with that and and it can be quite frightening and, and so we stay with the perhaps the other voices or the, or we keep our mouth shut and don't share what yeah. what we want
1: and that continues that's every every page is you start over again, and the voices are still there i mean it's happened this was my the story this morning it's twelve it's one o'clock here in LA and I spent the first few hours writing and hearing, oh, you can't say that. Uh, and or whether it's because are you going to really admit that about yourself or people will be upset or you said the opposite before. So now you can't say it now. And it's really hard to just tell all those voices and just do it. And yeah. so it is hard. It's really hard, but it's, it's, it's life. It's really like, those, I I always feel like, at least with me, and I think probably with the writers I admire most, each book is sort of a weird, minor moment in that person's life where they manage to just be themselves. And maybe the minute you're done writing, you go right back into that fearful place. Um, but a book or an essay or a song or a poem um, or or a YouTube channel, a podcast is that brief moment where you just said to yourself i'm doing it i'm doing me and if hell or heaven follows then hell or heaven follows i can't control that that's that's yeah
0: i i totally relate to that i think anybody who's listening who perhaps is scared to take on a creative pursuit or to take a plunge into something uh, that expresses himself because i mean this is this is the part of the creative journey to be authentic and real um, what you just shared is gold. It's like, and even someone like you who has quite had quite a bit of success around the profession which you dedicate your life to, you still show up in the process and still have those voices and doubts. And it's not about shutting that out, but just being aware of that and still taking right. the actions to follow through.
1: Yeah, today so, I was, I'll yeah. tell you, today I was, I was writing um, because I just have a book coming out. So I'm back to square one. I don't know. You never know how to write the next one. It's always, like I never wrote before. And I was, just on a, <laughs> I was just on such a tear against myself. And I was like, because it's COVID and, you know, the readings are now Zoom readings and it's hard mm-hmm. to know if people are even listening and it's hard to value what I'm doing. And so I was just like going, you know what? What a, what a waste of a life. You know, all I'm good at, I'm good at Word. I'm good at Microsoft Word. That's it. That's my tombstone. Good at Word. What a, what a waste. What a failure. And you just have to sit back and go, whoa. Slow, slow down. Me.
0: Yeah. Oh, we I'm put just, everything stop. in one context, one thing. It's like <laughs> there's other things going on here. There's I'm yeah, doing other just,
1: things too. I'm just sitting here on a sunny Friday morning, just shooting at myself. And yeah, you realize, we, oh, shit, I do that all the day. I do it all the time. And forcing yourself to sit down and stop it for a minute and I don't have any other way to do that. I have, I have it with, with writing. I have it when I take, you know, walks with my wife and I have it when I play with my kids. Those are the only moments that that friendly fire stops. Yeah. So, uh, and that's after 25 years of therapy. So um, either I'm a really good shot or he's a really bad shrink. I'm not sure, but. Um, I think it, it sounds like the
0: human experience to me, Sean, you know, cause it's like, and also the, the examples you use, it reminds me of just examples of which you're sort of stepping out of yourself. You're being of service to others, your children, your wife. And it's when we just focus the spotlight on ourselves. I know for myself, and then all those voices come out when I'm like trying to pursue something of self, then I'm able to like, bam, these are all like, you know, the shadows come out and I'm able to block myself and stop myself from flowing and going. But, you know, I, I hear that. And it's really, that's really inspiring. I do want to like sort of shift and, and bring the conversation to a, um, to a space where, you know, we did talk a bit about, you know, your upbringing and, take, and creating some space and leverage be- between your past, your family, and, and like dis- discovering who you are, who you are as an individual, your voice, and, and t- keeping some healthy boundaries. Um, and a lot of, of the stories through the, in, through the work that, I, that I've read of you, there's like a lot of anger and there's a lot of frustration from your upbringing. Is there any positive Things that you've taken away from that upbringing, from from your past, that you've brought to your to your present day.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Are we done? Not- I was trying to. I was hoping to
0: try to phrase the question not a yes and no, no question, um, but then it came out the way. It you did.
1: What there's? Hey, you know, it's okay. I want the honesty. Something, there's something to be learned and what not to do. Um, and there was a lot of that. Um, if you mean um family no um honestly you have any no.
0: relationship with them anymore today
1: no, no. um and th- i don't say that happily or proudly um it's just uh i couldn't i couldn't i uh any contact at all um you know it, it's like for me it's just like it's it's just like gluten <laughs>
0: got it you have to cut it
1: out my family's like gluten so if i
0: I ask is it strictly based in religion is it the differences when it comes to god there's a lot more to that to unpack
1: okay no no no. and in fact that's one of my problems is that um and one of the things when uh foreskin's lament came out that i was always talking about is you know you have to look you have to read it with an understanding of like you know there's god which made it worse and community which made it worse but the issues were, you know, dysfunction, alcohol, anger, violence, lack of trust, um, all these things that, um, you know, they're braided together. They, they, they act on each other and make each other worse, but the, the core of it, I think, you know, if I had a, honestly, if I had a perfectly happy family, I think I'd probably not be who I am I probably not have the same opinions that I have. I think I never really bought into the relationship with God was always a problem. Um,
0: From the moment you truly understood it, like bar mitzvah, 13 years old.
1: No, before that, well before that, um, when I I wasn't, uh, I wasn't combative, but from, from day one of my understanding, there's this guy who, kills his own people, floods the world, for yeah. really no good reason. Uh, Sarah laughs, so she's barren. Like, yeah, on one hand, he 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 reminded me a lot of my father on earth, uh, my good dad in heaven. So that made things more complicated. Um, and so I always, I always- big chafe.
0: book or else.
1: Yeah, yeah. As and you so say, I, yeah. Always, I, I always chafed at that, because uh, I, I didn't chafe it as a kid. As a kid, it just scared them of me. Um, And I was terrified, and and to this day, honestly, like I don't keep anything. Um, I, you know, my shrink says I'm the most religious person he knows because I think about it all the time. (laughs) And even though I have nothing to do with it, like around this time of year, my IBS starts getting worse, and I go, "What's today?" And I go, "Yom Kippur's coming up."
0: That's right. Uh, Days away.
1: Yeah, because you know that for me, that's like a vet approaching D-Day that that was that was it you're gonna die uh, yeah. and watch out um and so it was terrifying for me really really scary I don't even think my parents or friends knew the extent to it but they all seemed to be behaving the same way I was in you know I don't know if you know it but in in Muncie a place called Yeshiva of Spring Valley which was like insane sure. um actually if you go on YouTube you can find a, a lovely video of a rabbi beating the shit out of a kid that somebody posted um yeah
0: um yeah Yeah, that's that's intense i i i I hear that sorry to cut you off but
1: yeah so you know so i think back then it was the the religious part is abusive no doubt about it um but it just made an already bad situation worse i wouldn't say that you know this was the brady bunch you know with yarmulkes and boy they just threw me out because of cheeseburgers you know what i mean
0: I hear that. I mean, I, 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 I could relate to that. And as I grow and, and, and pivot into my own relationship with my own God and, and starting to choose my own God, it's, it's been a very interesting couple of years for me where I grew up in, 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 in an Orthodox, uh background, Jewish background. And um, as I slowly, because I, I, I am curious, I, I, I realize I need spirituality in my life. Uh, however, the, the relationship has been from a place of fear and judgment. And now the way I look at Yom Kippur, for example, it's not the literally the Day of Atonement or the Day of of, of like Judgment. I look at it as a Day of Reflection, and I take that day as like just a time to like reflect on my year and to see how I could show up and more powerfully. How could I build my you know contact with my God
1: in a more right. real
0: and, and fun, fundamental way? And uh, and and in that chitter chatter, there's already that type of like voices, but it should be this way, it should be that way, and having yeah. a conversation with family members or people who have a more like maybe or traditional way of view, viewing the day specifically it would bring up some sort of dialogue of you know that's not how it's supposed to be but i'm starting to realize how how it's supposed to be is what fills me and brings me closer to to a more spiritual life and a connection with with god so yeah,
1: i mean I, me it's like I, I i i maybe it's part of being a writer and sitting down every day like i said in that moment and looking at myself i I do that every day. I do that for a living. So for me, I want a day of no atonement. That's my holiday. I want one day a year where I don't have to feel about myself. <laughs> and, so, and so every year on Yom Kippur, my wife and boys and our two dogs, we go on a hike. We find some nature somewhere and we walk and we watch the dogs chase squirrels and we have a laugh and we have a little picnic and then go home. And it's my... And then, do you, then do you carry... Up
0: that's interesting that's cool and i respect that and i I hear that and that works for you do you have do you still have any type of jewish guilt and if you do yeah do you have any jewish guilt
1: uh i have you know i'm a human being we all have it it doesn't matter if you're jewish or not have you ever you know i was uh very close with uh philip seymour hoffman is huge guilt huge guilt we Italians, huge guilt. <laughs> Catholics, right, huge right.
0: Guilt. Uh, it's true. It's not necessarily I mean, just for the Jewish. It's just yeah, guilt. And
1: I, I think that, I mean, you know, you've you've read my new book and yeah. a thing with me lately is um, trying to push back against these things that we either knowingly use to divide ourselves or pat ourselves on the back for and then inadvertently divide ourselves. So, when I hear Jewish guilt, I hear there's something about us that's unique and it isn't. And so uh, I've never met a person. There are people who don't have guilt where, yeah, yeah. Where? I don't know. That doesn't exist. That's not true. And I, it sounds like a small thing, but to me, the, the more, and the whole purpose of that book is just about I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about the things that divide us. Um, or make us different. I want to talk about the things that make us the same, and nine times out of ten, it's the things we think make us special, which don't. It yeah. makes us it makes us human, and we're all that way. So I want to
0: I want to jump into the mother for dinner, and before we do, because it's a it's a fantastic book, and I'm so grateful I, to have my hands on a copy. It's it's really something, and I have I want to shed some light on it before we just pivot to that uh, point. Um, I did have a couple of just more questions on the idea of like, you do mention the, the in, in Forrest and lament, um, the idea that, you know, you believe in a personal God, everything that he does, you take it personally. What do you have, um, something that you hold on to if it's, if it's not religion and if it's not God, um, what give, what fuels your life with meaning and purpose?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, for a while, it was pop um and then it was gin <laughs> <laughs> um no, I would say um uh and it sounds super cheesy, but um, you know it's the love I have with my wife and my kids, and there's uh and you know in second place, it would be writing, and it's doing it's trying to just live a life that undoes. That undoes the things that were done wrong or just tries to do things better. Um, so um, I grew up around schwarze jokes um, and uh, grew to just hate that kind of racism, that kind of hatred. I grew up around, uh, you know, nothing but terror and God's going to come after you. And I don't teach my kids that at all. I was, raised with the holocaust everywhere there's a nazi around the corner i don't raise my kids with that i tell them about it but there was also an armenian genocide there was also 400 years of slavery for other people and you know what you've got a target on your backs so does everybody you know when they line you up in heaven just before they send you down for your sentence on earth and they say pick a box what do you want to be Jewish, black, Asian, Irish, I'm thinking other, just other. I, I, I'm pretty sure I picked tree, but they're cutting those down now a lot too. So I don't know who you want to be. It's, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's not great for anybody. So let's just all kind of acknowledge that. Um, and that doing that kind of stuff, um, finding uh, laughter in the darkness uh, is a big thing for me. Uh, exposing the darkness and, and, and laughing at it are the two biggest things for me, probably.
0: And it's so interesting and, and amazing and, and that, you know, you, you have a, a history in life where there was a lot of darkness and challenges and, and grieving. Um, and you were surrounded, you mentioned like um, Seymour Hoffman, like he also, and Robin Williams and the artists of the world. There's so much pain and suffering and yet there, there's a, a way of expression is through comedy or through humor and, uh, and for you to go back and like write this letter, like not go with the, the melodramatic one, like you mentioned, but try to, hey, like, how can I make this more fun and funnier? Right. Why, do, why do you think you need to go down that path and decide to, because our, our, there are writers and authors who go about and write it raw and dramatic, but yet, you know, you touch on very deep concepts and yet you do it through a place of, of humor. I-
1: I think humor has its own wisdom. That's the thing is that, you know, I can have all these ideas and philosophies and write them down. Um, but humor just when you laugh at something, it just seems to contain its own wisdom. It tells you the truth. You don't have to, you don't have to, and obviously I'm not talking about mean spirited humor or hateful. I mean, that's all about intent, but I mean, you know, laughing at our shared experience, um, which seems to be sadly taboo in the world in this country right now. Um, and unfortunately a taboo of the left where which is my people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, you mentioned, so I was remember being in a van with Phil, um, and we were on our way to a location or something and he had just before finished, um, a run on Broadway of Death of a Salesman. And he was talking about how much it took out of him to do it, and it's really in a, you know, a harsh role. And I just remember saying, you know what? They're Miller. And he was like, What? Because <laughs> he's a theater guy. Yeah, it's like that's sure. blasphemy. And I'm like, you know what? I get out of bed in the morning feeling that way. I don't need somebody charging me a hundred bucks on Broadway to make me feel like life is, you know, I, I want to pay for I feel, this. I feel that. Yeah, exactly. I feel that shitty at seven Oh one AM. The minute the alarm goes off, goes off. fuck. And I got to dig myself out of that hole. I don't need you coming in here and pissing on me when I'm already pissing on myself. Like I just, I, the people that I always loved were comedians. They were as a kid, um, I, I tried to make my family laugh as a way to distract them from, from Friday night fistfights. Um, wasn't very successful. <laughs> um, tough room, the tough tough room, room. right? Yeah. Uh,
0: it, was a, it, was a, it was a good place to at least, you know, try, try the new material. Like, okay. That didn't work. We'll try yeah. next week.
1: A lot of mean drunks, man. Um, don't work that club. So, um, <laughs> uh, but then, then I remember like getting into, uh, this is the 80s, so, like, I remember kids in, in yeshiva were passing around, like, a bootleg tape of Eddie Murphy, Delirious. Mm. And it was so funny, and it was so freeing. And, yeah, I know, we look back at it now and say, well, what a homophobe whatever, but that's always easy. Um, but it was very liberating. I remember it was so liberating, that complete schmuck. I played it for my mother. Oh, 'Cause oh. I just wanted her to be happy and it made me happy. I'm like, mom, you have to listen to this. And then it's like she just hit the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it began.
0: Oh man. But that's such a beautiful, I like, guess such an innocence, childhood innocence. Like, hey mom, I wanna like here, listen yeah. to this.
1: And then it yeah. worked its way into, you know, Carlin and Bill Hicks was a huge influence. And then I started to read what the stuff from school. I um I used to cut Yeshiva and go to the porno places in Midtown and then take a bus back home. And the bus just happened to pick up outside one of the most uh phenomenal old bookstores, uh now deceased, um, in the city. And I would just go in whatever money I hadn't spent on porn, I'd spend on books. What was the and name of the bookstore? Gotham. Mart. Um uh and it had a little boat on a, on a sign outside that said, wise men fish here. It was, And you walked inside and had photos of like everybody, all of these famous authors sitting around on the floor in there. They had a room upstairs that if you were really in need, they would put you up in while you were working. Really, wow. really from a different world. And this is only 30 years ago. Um, um, we were headed downhill fast. That's, no wow. That sounds yeah. like a special place. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember going in and just asked, and looking around, I was really intimidated because I didn't study any of this stuff. And uh, by chance, I picked up a book by a guy named Leonard Michaels because I liked the cover and the title. The title was, I would have saved them if I could. It seemed like something I would say. And then I got on this bus full of Hasidim going back to Muncie and I'm sitting on the back reading this book.
0: And you look like a Hasid at the time or are you like, do you have the, the garb? You
1: look
0: at okay, you look at Yeshiva again, okay. okay.
1: And um, I'm sitting in the back with a backpack full of, you know, hardcore pornography. And I'm reading this book and the story I read, I think is called The Savior of His People, something. Uh, I forget, what. but nothing about the book suggested, or Leonard Michaels suggested being a Jew, but it was a story about um, uh, three yeshiva kids who on Friday night climb up to the roof of their tenement in Brooklyn or Lower East Side, and spy on their rabbi having sex with his wife, because it's Friday night, right? So it's sex night. And they're not watching them have sex, but they're watching them dance in the living room, which really kind of got to me. I'd never seen my father even hug my mother, let alone dance. And then the rabbi spots them. They scramble to leave, two get down, one falls to his death, the end. And I was like, that's the most funny story I've ever read in my life. And yeah. And then I went back and I'm like, Hey, this guy was kind of funny. Last year was funny and God bless the guy who goes, Oh, do you know who Kafka is? And I'm like, no, but I babysat for a kid named for people named Kafka and Muncie. I figured they were related. I don't know. All Jews. Jewish geography. Yeah. And then, you know, sit on the bus again, more porn and some guy turns into a bug and his only worry is how it's going to affect his parents. And they're just angry at him. They're not worried. They're just like, stop being a bug. And then they finally kill him and they have a happy ending. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. I can do this. Because I didn't have the self-esteem to get up on a stage. But, you know, hi, behind the page, I could, I could do this. I was like, wow. I could. And then from there, it was like Beckett, who was hilarious. Unfortunately, I didn't go to college. So I didn't have anyone telling me these guys were serious or... Mm-hmm heavy or really talking about existentialism or uh uh seeing uh, the coming of nazism in germany like oh, it was just a story about a guy hating his father um and so it was like that was this moment of like oh i can this is what i want to do except I'm so angry <laughs>
0: and that and that is interesting like you you know you're tying it back to like what you said earlier about like you know telling your therapist i don't want don't take away my anger because that's my fuel is there still a certain fear that if you let that go your creativity will crumble or perhaps you know is is, does that switch to like if i do let that go maybe like who knows what could happen and i may be happier and my writing
1: will change i think it's somewhere in the middle i don't think um I think you know all writing comes out of some anxiety, um, or there'd be no need to create. Um, but I think back when I was like Samson, like if you cut off any of this hair, I'm dead. And now I've kind of got like a little bob. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, take four inches off the back, uh, but leave the rest. Um, so it's that. It's just finding that place where it's like, well. Yeah this is this is the fuel that fires me um but you know make sure you put a cap on the fuel tank do you know what i mean cuz otherwise yeah. it's just what? um and anger is you know comedy is anger so they're they're intertwined there's no way bad comedy isn't and nasty comedy is just anger like over hatred and, st- and stupidity so it's finding that that place and certain writers beckett among Flannery O'Connor, Vonnegut, Heller sort of showed the way of like, so this is how you thread the needle. And with each of them, there were moments where they failed, where they went over one way or the other, and it doesn't work. Um, so it's always trying to find that that spot where it still has that passion, but it it hasn't veered into negativity or why are you doing this? Do you know what I mean? The intent for me yeah. always has to be. Something positive it's even if it's one percent like that's those are the stories that I love. like I remember years ago when Simpsons was first starting, I was reading an interview with Matt Groening, and he was saying how he wasn't sure for the first season or so what what the story really was, or who the characters were, and then they did an episode where Bart fails math, and the happy ending is that he gets a D minus, like not an A. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's but the that's game.
0: that's a that's a win.
1: That's life. Yeah, that's life. If you end up one fraction better than when you started out, you win.
0: Progress. Yeah, yeah, that's so. When people read your read your your work, what what do you want them to leave with, if anything?
1: You know what? Honestly, like if they get the bigger thing, great. If they laugh for a little while, that's fine too. You know, I kind of write for. It's weird it's you don't really write for yourself but you write for I forgot who it was who said this but I, you're kind of writing the book that you're not finding in the bookstore. Do you know what I mean the one you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, um and that's not the same as writing for yourself. Um one's one's more masturbatory than the other. You know what I mean? I think there's there's i go to bookstores a lot i live in libraries and bookstores and yeah that one kind of was good but it. i wish it had done this and it's just sort of writing for that alternate universe me so when they go in the bookstore there's a little tiny little section where they go oh right that guy
0: right and it's so and your writing is so nuanced in the sense like and but yet because I, I, I come from the world similar to the world that you came from, and there's so much of me I see in those in the writings and I relate to it, and there's so much connection and uh, and so much I laugh out about, but also it's it's you're so mainstream in the sense that you are know, being published by tremendous books um publishers and and the book can be found anywhere, and yet um people who don't have the same exact experience could still connect with the the journey in which you're bringing them on, which yeah. is uh what a what an incredible talent and
1: and well that's I, the thing that's that's what we are saying is like yeah. If you, do, if, you do, if you set out to do that, you can do it where, where you're not obsessed with what makes you special or your people special or a soapbox necessarily to stand on, where it's just, hey, you know what? And again, I, I think the guy who did that best most recently was Vonnegut, who, you know, got thrown into a sci-fi box for most of his life. And then as he got grayer and older, they were like, oh, wait, maybe he's not just writing about spaceships. Maybe he's writing about all of us. Um, right. and that's, that's, that's the only thing worth writing about.
0: So, yes. And talking about writing and what you write about, I, I, I wish we had more time, but I want to get in at least some bit about uh, mother for dinner, your latest novel. And, uh, I guess a segue into this discussion. And I just, again, just finished it. I laughed out loud at times. I smirked and I, and I made me think as well. Um, so if, if we were let's say compare your two works, um, and I don't want to, not to say your works, but uh, Foreskin Lament, which you come about as a memoir, what would you say in Mother for Dinner is, uh, how would you place that into what, and in what kind of category?
1: Um, well, um, I think Foreskin's Lament was um, very, there was a lot of therapy. There was a lot of me looking directly at, and I'm sort of working on a follow-up, uh, you know, phase two, um, which is just sort of tracking my own
0: you go back and do the breasts? <laughs>
1: um, yes no we reattach it and then reattach it, it off again it off. <laughs> i just i want to make everybody happy <laughs> and my second son i just cut off all the tips of his fingers and toes so i'm very from uh, oh magmere uh, very machmer. I, I cut off the tops of everything um and uh i feel like Mother for Dinner was sort of going, okay, let's step back a little bit further and a little bit wider and go, well, you know, what What part of my history is probably the same for everybody? Um, and that's what I wanted to do. It's kind of come, first of all, go, okay, it's not going to be, I don't want to write about Jews. And I, don't want write and I don't want to write about Caucasians. I don't want, I want to write about African Americans. I don't want to about fake people because then you're free. Then yeah. you can make up with, mythology you can write their holy books it's awesome it's it was
0: i thought it was such a genius move to go down the cannibal cannibalism route because like you said you're taking this extreme example yet it's so it's this community of people which any community could put sort of put themselves in and say oh like how interesting those rituals are and and sort of compare it to where they're at in their own structure whether they're in or not or know about one and uh yeah that was what, what did that um but how cannibalism, how, if you know what I'm asking, where did that, where did that click to say, hey, this is, this is the I path I want to take? You
1: know I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but it wasn't cannibalism specifically. It was cannibal American because yeah. that added a whole thing of history and assimilation and all this other stuff. And at first it was just like, oh, that's funny. And I laughed at the idea of, a bunch of brothers sitting around trying to figure out how to eat the mother they all hated as just a, just a scene. And then slowly it became like, wait a minute. um, If they're cannibal American, maybe she didn't want them to assimilate. And when did they first come over and what's their big holiday? And uh, all this really kind of like meaty gritty stuff that you can just do whatever you want with. And the fun part about it is, you go you make it all up and then you go oh wait that's us that's everybody you know what i mean you, yeah, you create yeah. it out of nothing and somehow ends up at reality um, um, you, even if it's a uh, reality you know so
0: it. yes i remember I, found... I remember
1: reading it going oh wait um so uh the two things i remember think where i was like oh there's a lot of depth to this was first of all for some reason seeing a book on Gilligan's Island. I don't know what the hell I was looking for at the time. And I thought, wow, they probably hated that show because it was completely like black exploitation. It was like cannibals had bones through their noses and they were right. wild and violent and wearing skirts and they were the enemy. And I could see the mother going, you know, those Jews in Hollywood really screwed us. And then, <laughs> and it just made me laugh. And then I had her... Because one of the things that I do is I try and take the characters I hate most and give them, you know, the most benefit of the doubt, right? Give them the most, you know. Uh, it was a thing Dostoevsky used to do. Like the people he disagreed with most in the books always had the best lines. It's um, why I threw away a lot of the stuff that he wrote because <laughs> it's um But um, I remember writing her thing about, wait a minute, they call us animals and they call us savages they take their mothers and throw them in dirt to be eaten by bugs. We consume them. We prepare them. We grill them. We eat, we make them part of us for eternity. And you start going, eh, she's kind of got a point. <laughs> there, there is, there is some interest. Yeah.
0: initially and, and how, and also like carrying the traditions from like, from, from the old country and bringing it to the new country and enjoying the melting pot of society but there was—I laughed out loud with you. You throw in these little tidbits of of the elders speaking to the elders, elders, and that just reminds me of the Achranim, the the rabbis of the past. And I'm sure that you know to be Jewish, I'm sure you have every religion has their own elders. And that's just there are those are some very funny moments. In, uh, and they all
1: argue with each other. Um, in, early, in earlier drafts, um, it kind of you kind of find out that the whole thing was being told by them in like an old age home for like people who are mentally insane and they're just sitting on rocking chairs all day shouting about, you know, Jews in Hollywood. Um, uh, But it worked better. Just have them be this kind of, they don't really take part in the story. They're a little bit like, um, what are their names in the Muppets? You know, the critics who sit and watch everything and comment. Um, But yeah, it was that that's part of what I was saying was like that, you know, they have this, you have this, I don't know, fetish for the past. And an addiction to history. And all I can look at is go, I don't see how that's helped us at all, anywhere. You However,
0: know, it- isn't there a beauty, and I'm here to just challenge you on that for a second. Isn't there a beauty in and the beauty of that not that we when you walk into a garden for example as a simple example not everything is roses per se but what's beautiful about it is that there's so many different types of flowers there's tulips and there's sunflowers and there are roses and such and the beauty about this world is that we all carry our own history we all carry our own stories and together we we make this world so so unique and so and so special um so yeah, that there's... metaphor
1: falls, that metaphor falls apart if the only thing in the garden is piles of so to me, yeah, you're right. I don't, well, I don't, I don't, first of all, whatever you or I or anybody else thinks of what their grandchildren are going to look like, they're not going to look like us. They're going to be brown. It's happening. <laughs> I'm glad it's happening. I think that's a gorgeous story. I think it's a gorgeous story. And it's in, that's in Mother for Dinner. It's, we all started. You said brown four, or round? Well, probably both. If you're in America, it's going to be round, but I'm hoping for brown. Um, but, you know, it, it, we all started out in separate places. And over time, look what happens. Like like you said, the garden grows. we, The forest multiplies. There's different breeds, but they're all part of the same thing. Right now, we don't have that. Right now, we're all building walls. We all want to stay separated. So as far as the past goes, I'm not, you know... I'm not the opposite extreme where I don't want to ever hear about anything again, but I do want to try and go, okay, like, like I was saying about the Holocaust, like, do we just want to keep flying that flag and keep talking about everybody hates us? Or do we look at it and say, there's something to be learned here about humanity in general. And let's move ahead with that. And that we all suffered. And, you know, um, how do we take that and move ahead? To me, the narrative that I grew up with, everyone's looking. One of the characters, in mother for dinner, talks about this. Is uh, you know, you get in a car when you're 17 with a driving instructor, and the first thing they tell you to do is not to look in the rearview mirror while you're driving. Don't drive in the rearview mirror because you're going to crash. And every kid puts the car in drive, looks in the rearview mirror, and hits the car in front of them. And I—that's all I see going on. Is people walking backwards through time, backwards, you know, down the road, looking at everything behind them and what did that mean and who should I hate and what should I do and what should I wear and what should I, and I just want everyone to just turn around for a minute and say, where are we going? You know, where, where, I know where the story started, but maybe we need to start worrying about where the story ends.
0: It reminds me of the um, of the of the T-shirt with you see like the the caveman as he transforms and evolutionizes into a man, and then the man sort of turns back and says, "Why are you guys following me? Like where are we going?" Um, bit of a connection there, maybe not.
1: Right. Uh, but yeah. I've seen that where he ends up with a gun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Always got it. Yeah. Go a bit further with it, but there is one part which just which sort of took my my breath away, and maybe just fed into my own space and my own mindset. Where, where, I think it was the mother, not the uncleish, but the mother who says um, about. I'm going to paraphrase here about being breaking the chain of life, right? T- stopping the chain and and stopping the the flow and the history of where you are today, okay. and uh, and well, a I just want to give you uh, the safe it's incredible to being that you have so many different characters, so many different sons and you were able to, I, th- I think give voice to so many different opinions and not just be very one sided. You know, you have like the religious son who wants to stick with it. And the one who's went off to, you know, the Dara who's not going to do anything at all. And you have the middle seventh. And um, so I, and, and there was this idea of like, you know, and of, of breaking the link, don't be the one to break the chain. And, um, which I just, again, just resonated with me. And I, not really necessarily going anywhere with it but i just felt like that that really struck a chord and i think we talked a bit about which i think falls into guilt i was just like if you're going to do something because you just feel bad about doing it because but not because you believe in it or feel that it's right or it's you um right. then perhaps it's it's time to build your own chain and, right,
1: start and, your that's own. What, and that's what seven's whole arc is in the story he's kind of half in half out at the beginning the death of his mother and his, uh, eventually his people, cause they're the last cannibal American family in the world, causes a, a guilt spiral. And he finds himself wanting to eat her, suspicious of all the people in town, angry at the cops, think, you know, yelling at people. Until yeah, he, the cops, until he, until he comes out the other side and goes, whoa, whoa, what was that all about? Um, and yeah, I, I remember my mother used to, I, I've been looking for it forever. Um, I don't know why, but she used to play this song on a record player, on Arab Pesach, and it was just some, some yentas moaning, and the chorus was, break those chains, break those chains, break those chains, and they're talking about chains in Egypt, and all I could think was, sing it, sister. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're goddamn right. (laughs) She gets me. She gets me. (laughs) But you know, it's like what, and every other facet of human life chains are bad. But suddenly, you know, with who you are and how you should comport yourself, and who you should talk to, and what you should eat, and where you should live, suddenly chains are are dictating everything. And yeah, I mean, Seventh says very early in the book that it was a chain, it was handcuffs, and. He's looking around at the world and he's just baffled by the fact that he spent his whole life trying to get these chains off him and all around him, people are raising their chains up into the air and proudly proclaiming that they're handcuffed and he doesn't get it. And uh, frankly, neither do I.
0: What do you have against Jack Nicholson?
1: <laughs> Jack Why Nicholson Jack? is a son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that I know. And I've heard that multiple times. And he's part of the top uh, three. But uh, Jack
1: Dickinson was like he was I don't know what did he first turn was all you brave. down
0: in personal life? Did he not want to take on a part you wrote for him?
1: Nothing. He just looks like he might be cannibal American. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um
1: I'm surprised went he didn't go with the Hannibal. I mean
0: it was maybe it was too <laughs> obvious to go with um to go with Anthony Hopkins, but um Right,
1: yeah, Anthony Hopkins, yeah. Um, I don't think there are a lot of British cannibals. Something just tells me they're, they're, You know, there's too much politeness over there. Mm. But it felt like at first it was Reagan, um, who is a cannibal in the book. I mean, probably in real life, but it was a cannibal. <laughs> um, he's a metaphorical cannibal in real life. But it got too political. And and then I I forgot what it was. I was reading something. So the funny that you mentioned Jack Nicholson is that I was reading a biography of his and I don't know why, but he has this amazing story, incredible story, that, that his, he was raised by his mother and grandmother and then later found out that his mother was his grandmother and his sister was his mother. And she had, wow. that his wow. sister got pregnant very young And so as not to cause shame in the family, they kept her inside, said the mother had given birth to this baby, and then raised him as if, right? So, yeah, yeah. crazy, crazy story. And the one thing I took, so I was like, wow, that's interesting because it's such a weird take on identity and, you know, we don't even know, we could, and it was a reporter who told him this, like in his 30s (laughs) or 40s, like, it really wow plot twist that's nuts yeah and so imagine that like you know you do your dna test and you find out well i'm not jewish now what i've, I've invested everything in this show
0: i think every yeshiva buckler had that conversation late at night on a friday night or after like something you know we always ask right. what would you do if you found out you weren't Jewish? would you still be jewish
1: right of course
0: conversation to have yeah
1: <laughs> no be. thank goodness i could finally come out oh wait sorry um uh, here huh?
0: guys here on the podcast
1: <laughs> so And then there was this other thing that he called his mother mud um, because he couldn't pronounce mother when he was a baby. Um, And I thought that's really great because mud and muddy and earth and cannibals. Um, So I took, I took that. And then I was like, you know what? It makes sense that he would be a cannibal. The aspect of in the story where he comes in for people who have read the book is that um, when he won the Academy award for uh, cuckoo's nest, all the cannibal Americans thought he was going to step up on stage and finally say "Come you know, thank, thank you to the academy but I want to thank most of all I want to thank my people cannibals and it's time to step out of the shadows and admit who you are and Jack gets up and he makes a joke about his agent and he leaves and they're crushed because he never admitted that he was Jewish. And so, I mean, that he was cannibal. of <laughs> <laughs> <Because 40's, 40's laughs> slip right there. <laughs> because what I was about to say is like, and I remember growing up and hearing that about Woody Allen, Woody Allen. Woody mm-hmm. Allen. Um, uh, the funny thing is, I remember hearing that about Alan Alda, and he's not Jewish. But everyone thought he was Jewish. And they were angry for the fact that he wasn't admitting that he was Jewish. Like when he was on MASH. And he looks oh. Jewish.
0: He looks, yeah, he looks Jewish. Interesting. But he's not
1: Jewish. And in fact, I was told at some point that he went to like an uncle of mine's synagogue. Like what? That, that had to be complete. He started, he, started, he started to believe the story
0: then. He's like, wait, if everybody says I'm Jewish, maybe I am Jewish.
1: I must be Jewish. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just so, it's really like this whole thing about identity. It's so fluid. And so there's a great book, honestly, that you should read called uh, the, Top, the Lies That Bind by a guy named uh, Anthony Afia, Kwame Afia. And Kwame Anthony Afia, and it's just this, it's nonfiction, but he goes through how all of these things about I'm American, I'm this, I'm that, are, you know, completely uh, uh, not trustworthy, completely off half the time, it's made up stuff, we don't know, it may be real, but it's like 100 years old because half these countries didn't even exist. So what does that mean? To say you're this or that. And it it sort of gets at this thing of like we're all just people, like what are we doing? How um, do you
0: identify yourself?
1: Human. Team human? Yeah, I don't think I'm like, you know, I I think, yeah. I think, you know, and that's in the book. Like, if we all yeah. just admit that we're all, then maybe we could stop all this crap. Like, for me, like I look around at the world, there's like eight billion of us now. There's gonna be twenty billion in a half an hour and we're still doing this country borders thing. Like, all right, I get when we were primitive that we were primitive. And so we were frightened and this and that, but like, isn't it time to, and and when you start to do the research about the problems that borders create, whether it's environmental laws, uh, billionaires hiding money, uh, hunger, drought, water, these, this stuff is just so ancient and stupid. Like, like you said, yeah, I'm, I want a flag for Earth. That's the only flag I wanna see. And by the way, when we find aliens on Mars, we can get rid of that flag too. And then just do something about the Milky Way. But until then, I'm happy with just an Earth, just Earth. God bless America, Israel this, Russia's that, China's this, it's such, I see flags and I get, I get freaked out. I know something bad is gonna happen. I'm not gonna. I don't put all the
0: pressure on you, but thinking these thoughts, how do you? What would be the next steps to to dismantle that, or to or to bring a witness to say, "Hey guys, let's all let's all get along."
1: No, I don't know because it feels like anything in history is always this issue of there's the controllers and then there's the people, right? So you look at you know right now, everyone's like, "Oh, America's never been more divided," right? We all hate each other. But if if you actually look at polls. Um, and I think I know it's really hard cause I'm lefty and I'm a Bernie guy. And part of my, part of being lefty is mistrusting the media. But now if you mistrust the media, you're a right winger. So I don't know where they stand, but the truth is that like, it's built on division. So you look at poll after poll after poll and on most things that matter, we all agree. We all want to make a living. We all want to feed our kids. We all want good schools. You know what? Yeah, on the the last, there's 100 questions, 99 we agree on. The last one is, should gay people be allowed to be married? That there's a divide on. The headline in the paper will be, America's never been more divided. But you can look at that poll in country after country after country, and all of us little people, all of us non-limo, non-politician people, all just want the same goddamn thing. You know, there's this great bit in Catch-22 where Yossarian's like, there are people out there shooting at me, and why? I don't know them. I didn't do anything to them. Why are they shooting at me? And they feel the same way. And it's just, just, it's just this, this. I feel like it's got to come from us somehow. It's got to come from enough people. And maybe you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally ludite but I'm pretty close to thinking that social media is uh, horrible, horrible influence. But if there's anything positive about it, it's been these moments where like when America says they're going to bomb Iran and people in Iran and America are on social media going, I have nothing against you. Uh, you look just like me. It's like, yeah. don't worry guys. They wear Nikes. It's cool. We're going to be, we don't have to kill them. They wear Nikes and Prada. It's all right. No robes. Why are we bombing Nike wearing people? And you just like, this is crazy. This is, we're all just being manipulated by like effectively a handful of people who make a ton of money off of us. And I'm, you know, that sounds, it's funny because I've said that to people like, that sounds pretty radical. I'm like, really? That sounds radical. We're we're all, we have more alike than, than we have more in common than we have apart. And we should all just cut this out. Like that doesn't sound radical to me. To me, if there were nothing and all this planet just started tomorrow. And I said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we all break off into separate places with borders and guns and bombs, and we'll all say we're better than the others, and we'll all fight with each other over rapidly disappearing uh, water and food. What do you think? That's radical. That's the radical idea. <laughs> you know what I mean, In that meeting, everyone's looking at each other, going, "What's with Auslander? What happened to him?" You know, like that's not a that's not the co- that's not the good suggestion. Everyone else is like, oh, "I don't know. We'll just I don't know. Let's just have life." So. Uh, that was kind of, you know, honestly, where it was fun in the book, pointing out that, you know what, we World. all have our most sacred days. We don't even know why they're sacred. It's all 90% of it is myth, you know. Um, but why?
0: Although, why, because I mean, maybe it's my positive or like my, my optimism within me. Like there's, uh, there's so many other words to, to describe, like we're all the same, you know, like why? Why? Why may yeah. I ask? Why, well, why I mean, point it that way?
1: Because, well, first of all, to me, to say we're all angels, I'm not going to buy it.
0: Yeah, angels right. for sure not. No, we're we're human. We're imperfect human, perfect beings. That's for sure.
1: We're all immensely flawed. We all have the capacity to do great things, and we all, most of the time, do bad things. <laughs> you know, I know it's uh, impolitic to quote Louis CK these days, but he had a really funny bit about how uh, he was doing well and he thought, you know, he passed homeless people on the street and he's like, and I could give money to these guys. I could do something and every day I don't. (laughs) And he drives an infinity. And it's true. It's just being honest. And so to me, I mean, first of all, just again, for people watching in the book, uh, Zero, who's the girl, um, the only sister, and she's named Zero because girls don't count. (laughs) According to the mother. um, Points out an interesting a biological fact that I heard years ago and I like bookmarked PDF to print it out, put it in a safe. I'm like, I'm using this somewhere that all creatures including humans begin cell structure. The first thing that forms is one of two body parts, either the mouth or, the mouth. and some creatures are mouth first and some are first and humans are first. And that just made me very happy. That gave me such relief because first of all, it's funny that we all start out and that we start out like in place of mouth, (laughs) in place of the thing that might speak and say something wise. No, no, no. But it made me go, wow, maybe if we all just knew that and just accepted that, that we're not, Jews aren't number one and white people aren't number one and Africans aren't number one and Chinese aren't number one. We're all pretty much terrified, scared, weak, hairless creatures with oversized brains trying to figure out where we came from and how to not die. And just, that's it. Just end it with that. If we could all just rally around a giant flag with that Vonnegut drawing hole, you know, the little star thing, that should be the flag. I just... That just happened. I was wondering what the flag was going to be, but I hey, think there that- it
0: is. That's a visual right there. It reminds <laughs> me of that. It reminds me of the um, of the, of the joke in which uh, you know the body comes together and says like, "Who's going to lead us?" And like the brain comes, the hand comes, and uh, the and, and the butt comes, and eventually uh, everybody says, "You know what? The brain, of course, the brain that functions, the functionalities of the whole body. That you'll lead us. You'll be the king of the body." And um, is a bit upset, and so he decides. You know what? I'm shutting down. A couple hours, one day, two days, three days, five days later, they have a rush meeting, and everybody realizes that nope. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, can you imagine if that famous picture of you know the astronauts on the moon were holding up a flag, pointing it, saying, "I'd be so much more proud as a human than if like someday Martian uh, moon people come up from under the surface and they're like." What the fuck is that thing? And I'm there. And I have to say, well, first of all, it's a flag. Uh, don't ask me where it came from. It's, it's a terrible idea. Oh, well, what's with the stars and stripes? Oh, well, it gets worse. Where I come from. <laughs> I, mean, like, I couldn't explain it. But if yeah. it were a whole flag, I could just say, yeah, you know what? We all got together. when We realized we're not all that special. And we should come together with that not specialness and make something special. They'd be like, hey, when's the next flight? When, let's have a party. We're the same way. But you start explaining, well, that's the one for America. There's like 72 others. It's a real mess. And uh, we like them to have bullet holes in them and be frayed because that means something good. I don't know. And they're all made in China anyway. I think they'd be <laughs> I'm sorry we came to the surface.
0: Yeah, that was that was a funny bit. China, the, the, the American flags being made in China. Um,
1: <laughs> that's the true so, thing.
0: Yeah, it's true. And, it, and yeah. it's, it's, it's hilarious. It made me, no, it made well, me I, think about I, that.
1: Well, my wife's British by birth and she went through the uh, uh, process here becoming a uh, legal. And on the one hand it was like awesome because you stand in a room and you kind of, it was like weird. It was like this mo- really moving thing. I didn't want to, I was like, I'm not going, this is going to be horrible. It's in a courthouse in Kingston, New York. I'm like, this is going to be so horrible. And in fact you go, and it's 30 different people from everywhere, all different accents, all different levels of English, just, pretty much saying, hey, let's all just be on the same team, you know? And it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's, it's almost like you could almost cry watching it because you just like, I mean, there's, sadly, there's an American flag in the corner, but whatever. I mean, it's still just bunches of people being people, nothing else. And then you walk out and they give you, because <laughs> it's America, <laughs> there's a seven-layer cake of an American flag. Oh, baby. That's and great. They give you a a chunk of cake and a little flag. And the flag is made in China. It says it right on it. And you're like, are you kidding me? That's, oh man, that's some terrible branding right there. No, but it's kind of like perfect. It's so perfect. There's a great Bill Hicks routine about somebody telling him that he couldn't burn a flag saying, hey man, my father died for that flag. And he said, really? I bought mine at CBS.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Sh- Shalom, um, let me just ask you this, uh, two more questions, one of which, uh, if you weren't a author, what would you be doing professionally?
1: Probably masturbating, although I don't, um, I hope it'd be something more productive. <laughs> Professional masturbator, okay. Yeah, yeah, I went to Harvard for it. I went to the Iowa Masturbator School. Um, Is- Joyce Carol Oates teaches there. It's very esteemed. Mm. You, you you ranked well in, in this, in this field. Yeah. Yeah. Took a class <laughs> with Ron Jeremy. He was really wonderful.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and uh, let me ask you this. Um, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze in one more question before we do. What would you tell your 13 year old self?
1: Uh, run. <laughs> run, Shalom, run. Yeah. Run. Run, I honestly I think it would be um you know, it sounds really stupid when you say it gets better because that's such a cliche. But what I would say is it's gonna get worse and then it's gonna get much, much worse. And then it's gonna get a little better, and then it's gonna get worse again, and then it might get a little better. <laughs> so hang in there. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Well, if someone who's going through that right now, what what advice would you say? Because you've gone, you went to the darkest places in your mind. You were were talking about earlier about you know suicide and and ending it all. What would you tell somebody who who's going through thoughts like that? What what should they do? What could they do to to keep on going? And is it worth it?
1: It is. It is absolutely worth it. Um. for For me, I think I would say, get angry. Get angry and laugh Um, because anger can propel you out of um, the sense that this is your fault or there's nothing worth living for. If you're in a black place, my feeling is there's probably a good reason why you're there. It's no one climbs up on the side of a bridge to jump for bad reasons, you know, um, they don't do it because because they didn't get a bonus this year. There's probably a real you're probably right. You're probably right to be that black, to feel that hopeless. But somebody did this to you. Something caused this. You didn't come out this way. You know, you, you came out with nothing but opportunity and a self and life. So get angry. To me, the idea, it slowly started to dawn on me that as much as a relief I was living in Manhattan on uh, third Avenue and as much as a relief might've been to just jump out uh, the bastards would have won. You know, that if you quit, they win. And if you quit, they get to sit around at your funeral saying he was trouble from day one. Um, And I've seen that happen. I've been at funerals of people who died before their time, either, intentionally killing themselves or pseudo accidentally and the eulogy is and everyone went over and hugged the mother who I knew were to blame. Instead, it's so sad for you and get angry. You know, it's that I used to have this thing in my notebook, a quote from Josie Wales of all people, which was sometimes you got to get mean and I mean mad dog mean because that can get you to a point of, I'm not giving up. I'm not, they're not going to win because however you, you know, however you think about it, that's what you're handing them. You're handing them a victory. You know what I mean? You don't show up to play, you're handing them a victory. And I didn't want that. I didn't, I, at one point I just decided no way. I remember after starting to see this shrink and by the way, don't let this bullshit, uh, cultural thing of, uh, shrinks are bad or or Freud was a this or whatever dissuade you. It's, it's sitting down with someone trying to find someone wise with some perspective who can help you. That's it. And most people don't have the courage to do it. So they make fun of shrinks. But I, um, uh, I remember shortly after that, after just starting, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, (sighs) but I remember being at, I had a brother that died. Um, I, I never knew him. Uh, he died before I was born. And um, no doubt that was, you know, largely to blame for the dysfunction in the family. Although other families have children who died and didn't, didn't make the mistakes my parents did. But I remember being, uh, it was his yard site and we had to go to the cemetery. And I had just, just, just started acknowledging how, Empty, I felt how how pointless everything seemed, how angry I was, and someone this shrink had just suggested maybe it's not you, maybe there's a reason for this, um, and you want to kill yourself fine, but at least go down the road and find out first if at the end you just decide no nah, it's not any good, uh, it's up to you, and I remember we were at the funeral uh, not the funeral at the cemetery, and uh I looked over and my family, my family members were all standing around hugging each other. And it was my mother, my father, my brother, all these people who in my mind contributed so much to the, just the bottomless sadness I was feeling. And I felt that was the first time I felt anger and in my head, cause I was about 20 yards away from them. I didn't want to be anywhere near it. I walked away and all I could think was watching them hugging and, Coming together was, uh, uh-uh, uh this is not over. Don't go celebrating. Don't 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 start with the hugging. And aren't we a good family? We haven't even started. This is just beginning. Um, and it was that motivation, that moment where it was like, you know what? All right, maybe I will someday. Maybe I'll maybe I'll find a bridge, but not until I find out why I want that bridge. And in that process, finding out, wow, there's something, there's something worth staying alive for, you know, and, and spending the rest of your life writing about it and fighting it and making people laugh about the pain that they go through. So, um, if that's an Avera, bring it on.
0: (laughs) Well, Salim, so, um, you definitely have a, uh, a way with words. And um, I really appreciate the generous time you put, uh, taking the time today for this podcast and, and your work. I am a fan of it and I, and I, and I promote it. And there's, there is a lot of rawness to it. And there's perhaps people coming from different views and have their opinions on it. Um, however, I think there's a lot of truth to it. And there's a lot, uh, there's a lot, lot to learn from, from your work. So thank you for using your voice and sharing it. One last, uh, one last question, because this is the Great Day Podcast. What is a great day for you?
1: Um, I, it's really simple. It's I get up, um, not too hungover. <laughs> I go to my I go, I go to a coffee shop that's not closed because of COVID, and I know everyone there. And I sit and I write for five, six hours, and then I go pick up my youngest one at school, and my oldest one meets us for ice cream, and uh, you know we come home and we watch a Laker game it's not, it's not, uh, it's not fancy. It's not fancy. It's just, it's just a little peaceful, you know?
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I wish you, uh, I wish you many more happy and great days ahead for you and your family, Sean.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Where could people find you and, um, and, uh, what are you cooking up? What are you excited about next?
1: You can't find me anywhere. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I, I, I am very uh, from about living under a rock. I don't have a, I have a website. I'm sure your it. publicist um, loves that. Loves it. They're like, so how many followers do you have? I'm like, I, what is that? What's a follower? I don't like followers as a rule. I don't like followers. So I don't know what you mean. Um, there's a website and you know, there's, you know there's google anyone can be found um i just for my own sanity and writing i st- i stay pretty uh pretty off the interwebs as much as possible um so i'm working on um a couple of films i think i'm doing as i mentioned i'm doing a, a sort of mid-stage uh of my life relationship with god memoir um and uh uh about halfway through a new novel as well so just writing, trying to get through it. Uh, i mean, waiting for the vaccine, just like everybody else. That's fantastic.
0: Well, for those who are listening, a Mother for, mother for Dinner is out now. You could be, you could be found uh, wherever books are sold. Sean, lots of success in everything that you're doing. And I do hope to, uh, once I move out to LA soon, I hope, I don't know if I yeah. turn out to be a schmuck as well, um, but uh, <laughs> I do hope we could grab that coffee at the coffee right. shop that you love.
1: Definitely. Look me up. I'm, you know how to reach me. So um, I'm the guy in the corner, you know, frowning at everybody, telling them to keep it down.
0: <laughs> I'll be coming for you. Thanks, Shalom.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this
0: podcast episode. And thank you to Shalom for jumping on the podcast. You can find Mother for Dinner on Amazon on ShalomAuslander.com. His website or you just Google it, find it. It's a great book, lots of fun. Let me know what you thought about it. And of course, you can check out Shalom's work online as well. And remember, every Monday, we are dropping new podcast episodes. Great Day Podcasts are coming to you every Monday. So be sure to subscribe, share, like it. Let me know what you think. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, the YouTube as well. And I look forward to sharing with you and connecting with you very, very soon. Until then, I'm wishing you... A great day.